What's going on, everyone? First off, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen. My goal behind this podcast is to spread positivity and hopefully a daily source of motivation for all those who hear it. If you're enjoying this podcast, a great way to support and help keep it around for a long time would be if you could subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on and also by sharing it with your friends and on social media. If you can do that, I would greatly appreciate your support and your help would go a long way. In life, unfortunately, occasions may arise where we find ourselves getting pummeled by challenges and trials, where it seems like there's not much working in our favor, and no matter what we do, we just can't seem to catch a break. So what do we do when it feels like there is no hope, and the odds seem insurmountable? Brody Young knows more than most what it's like to be in that position. The crazed gunman shot Ranger Brody Young nine times and left the father of three to die on a lonely hiking trail. I yelled out, you got me, and I turn away, and as I turn over the shoulder, I see him advancing on me. Boom, 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 boom. Today, we're going to talk about ignoring the negative chatter, the importance of never giving up, and where do you go when it hits the fan. I'm Anthony Robles. And welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable is just a, is just a mindset and a way of life. I think it's just uh, not being, being afraid to fail. Relentless. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish when I set my priorities right, when I walk with God, and when, again, I, I live with that mindset, being the best that I can be, at every moment. I think there's nothing more powerful on earth than the human will. Anthony Robles has shown us that impossible is nothing. Anthony Robles is a national champion. You're listening to the Unstoppable Podcast with Anthony Robles, brought to you by State Street. Please welcome today's special guest, Brody Young. Hey everyone, before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. When it comes to protecting your family, be unstoppable. Don't cut corners with your smart home security. Call my friends at Safe Streets. They'll evaluate your unique security and automation needs, all while delivering a five-star customer experience. Get your free quote today. Call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. All right, Brody, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you. Good afternoon, I guess now. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you. I'm, I'm actually, I live here in Arizona and we don't get to see rain too often. So it's been pouring all day long. So I've just been enjoying what just looking it? out the window. Yeah. Yeah. In the desert, right? It's different. <laughs> you know, I live in the desert too. It's high desert and we get maybe 12 inches a year, but uh, we, it's cloudy today, but no rain. We're kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah, and we're spoiled, I guess, over here on the West, right? I mean, I, I look on on TV and see all this snow on the East Coast, and I feel bad for complaining about the 67 degree <laughs> winters we have out here. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'm still in the 30s, 20s, maybe 40s, but uh, you're you're a little bit more, I guess, grateful. <laughs> yeah, warmth. that's that definitely a little bit more grateful. I'll, I'll take my winters any day. <laughs> but uh, Brody, thank you just so much for taking the time to speak with me today it, it's truly an honor because you have just uh, an amazing unbelievable story I mean it, it's it's truly a miracle and I just want to jump in I, I'd like to ask you 
how long have you been a Utah State Park Ranger, and what was it that made you decide to pursue a career as a park ranger? Well, uh, I've been a ranger since 2006. Um, what got me into this job was uh, previously I was a river guide, uh, professional river guide. So I took people down some pretty intense white water down Cataract Canyon, the Grand Canyon uh, occasionally, and uh, on a motorized boat. So if you can imagine a boat that's, uh, you know, 17 feet wide, 33 feet long. It's, it's got tubes, a, a line of five tubes under it with a frame on top and you throw 14 to 17 people on it and you tell them to hang on a dear life <laughs> and you take them down anywhere from five to 30 foot waves. It's, uh, it's a pretty exhilarating, fun time. I wanted to keep doing that yet have a full-time job. And so this ranger job in Moab opened up and uh, gratefully I was the only one that showed up that day for the interview, which uh, I got the job. So here we are uh, almost 15 years later and uh, still loving it. Oh, that's awesome. I bet, I mean, just that that job, you must've seen so much be beauty out there, nature. And I mean, I can't imagine all the things you've gotten to see. You know, it's really beautiful here. If you haven't been here, it's uh, it's a lot of red rock cliff with the, with the Colorado River, you know, meandering in between it. And there's a lot of, there's, I'm surrounded by national parks and a lot of uh, Indian ancestral Puebloan history and um, dinosaur history. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful place to live. Um, and uh, no complaints, <laughs> honestly. I want to stay here for the rest of my life, so. Well, next time I visit, I'm going to have to uh, look you up so you can give me some tips on where to visit and some hikes to take because uh, I definitely want to get out there a little bit more. It's beautiful. Yeah, come on up. Uh, it's it's a good time. Well, Brody, you know, my intention behind this podcast is to speak with individuals who have wrestled through challenges in life and whoever have overcome those challenges. I want our listeners to have that opportunity to hear these incredible stories of people who have faced that adversity and won, because at some point, we all will face that adversity. You know, at some point, there's going to be that that challenge in front of us. And some of it's it's a more intense level than others. So would you mind just taking us through what happened to you on November 19, 2010? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I was on patrol that day and uh, had the opportunity to do an extra overtime shift. It was a youth alcohol grant, kind of a uh, overtime shift. So our, our, I, I guess our goal that night was to go out, find underage drinkers and uh, take their alcohol away and uh, get them back to their parents or, or whatnot. And we've done this before, and it's been really successful. So that night, uh, my supervisor and I, we separated, and uh, he went south of town. I went north of town, and I went along the Colorado River uh, to a place called Poison Spider Mason Trailhead. Now, this trailhead is, uh, leads to a series of difficult trails, one of the most difficult rated trails in the area. And so I was checking trailheads that night just to see if people had gotten off the trail. Well, this is the first spot I went to, and when I showed up uh at least pulled into this parking lot there was one lone car sitting at the back of the parking lot so what i did was i kind of teed up to it got out and uh, wrote the license plate down and as i was walking around to the driver's side i noticed a lump in the back seat looked like someone had been sleeping in there and so i tapped on the window several times and uh, woke this gentleman up he opened the door i told him who i was and why i was there and asked if he was okay and uh, we chatted for a minute. I asked for some ID. He didn't have any or claimed to not have any. And then uh, he gave me a name and date of birth. Now the name he gave me was Michael Orr. Hmm. 
recognize that name the blind side right yeah right for the movie uh blind side little did i know this movie just come out and uh, me being the red-headed left-handed stepchild uh went right over my head but little did i know i was about to get blindsided so i wrote that name down and a date of birth and then i asked him to wait there and so i began or i i walked away as i was walking back to my truck just as i was about to turn in um, to get into my truck, that's when uh, the shots rang out. And what he had done, and I couldn't see, it was night, I had my headlights into my eyes, my vision was occluded somewhat. He had gotten out and uh, just started throwing rounds in my direction. It was the first round, unfortunately, hit me in my left arm, my left humerus, and I'm left-handed. And so immediately it shatters, uh, shatters my humerus and I scream out I've been shot I, I knew it and uh, I turned away and as I turned away more rounds were hitting me now three rounds hit my back I was wearing a vest that night I always wear this bullet resistant vest it's made to protect you protect your vital organs mm -hmm. and he hit me uh several times in my back three one of those rounds actually penetrated through the vest into my spine and I believe at that point I went to the ground and then all I could see was muzzle flash and him advancing on me, firing one round after the other. Now he was uh, carrying a, a Glock. Uh, it's a 40 caliber handgun, carries 15 rounds. I carried the same at the time and he had emptied that magazine and hit me nine of those uh, 15 rounds. Wow. And uh, most of those rounds I was laying on the ground and a lot of several of those rounds went up and in and under my vest and bounced around. And um, I just had no idea uh, how many times I'd been shot. But I got to tell you, I had this moment on the ground. It was like time stood still. It's a terrible cliche, but it, it, it was specific. And it said, you can either lie down and die or you can get up and, and fight. And I did not want to die. Dying was never an option. I'd never been trained to die or to think that that was an option. And so I did what I was trained to do. I got up and I went for cover. Now my cover was my truck, which was kind of right next to me at that moment, but I went to the back of my truck and he went to the front and then it turned into this cat and mouse game. Hmm. And uh, I didn't know that he was out of ammo. All I knew was I had ammunition and I needed to use it by my left arm would not respond i could not reach down it was just shattered and lifeless and so i did what i trained to do i used my non-dominant hand reached over and grabbed the weapon and then got up i was on the back rear bumper of my truck and he was in front of my open door on the driver's side well i see a silhouette uh through my windows through my truck and i began to fire rounds back through my truck now i gotta tell you the average gunfight uh, in the law enforcement world or even in in a gunfighting world is about 10 seconds mm -hmm. and this was minutes of just this game around my truck and um, honestly I had no emotion it was just do what you're trained to do when it hits the fan you fall to the level of your training mm -hmm. and I had practiced and had great supervisors great trainers that had taught me to train hard. So I would train in my basement with dry firing and just using those skills came back to my mind. I knew my truck would give me cover. Um, we'd actually had a unique training the spring before where we shot through windshields. We would put an officer in the truck, set up a windshield, 
shoot through it and just figure out what that bullet will go through and what it won't. I mean, this is this is a situation that uh, doesn't happen, mm-hmm. honestly, very often in the whole police world scheme of things. And uh, being out there and alone in the desert, I had to be a little more hyper vigilant. Was taught early on, you're going to be solo most of the time. And crazies like to go out into the desert and uh, be alone. And um, anyway, so I fired rounds from my vehicle. I uh, knew I was running out of ammunition and had to reload. So I did that with just one arm. Uh, I trained to do it. I put the gun between my knees, put another magazine in and went back um, to shooting. Eventually, he uh, walked out in front of my truck and his car and uh, he raised his hands. Now we're taught when the threat stops coming after you, you stop going after it. And mm-hmm. so he raised his hands. I walked up to my rear view mirror on the right side. And uh, he said, three words, you got me. And I went, thank you in my mind, because I started to lose consciousness uh, at that point. So I began to backpedal behind my truck and actually ended up quite a ways behind my truck. I don't remember this, but I fired more rounds as I was going unconscious and then um, I think he thought I had died at that point. And um, what he did was he got in his car and he drove off and went downriver away from civilization, civilization out into Canyonlands National Park kind of area where just no people go. And at this time of year, it was late November, a week before Thanksgiving. Um, I wake up a short time later and I realize he's gone but I realized I'm really injured. I feel like someone has poured concrete uh, on me and I cannot move. I'm, I'm having a really hard time just moving. And a really unique thing happened at that point. Uh, thoughts of my wife and my three young kids uh, poured into my head and seeing their faces. And I guess the desire of wanting to grow old with them and be a part of their life really gave me the strength, honestly. I mean, I was reaching into the the depths of something deep that's almost unexplainable, but it gave me energy to uh, begin to roll towards my truck. Now there's a truck radio in my truck and I had a handheld radio and it was hooked here, but I couldn't reach it for some reason. I had sustained significant damage. Um, Let me just read you where I had been injured there, laying on the ground after I woke up, I had Injuries to my heart, small intestine, colon, right kidney, liver, diaphragm, left lung, spine, pelvis, left humerus, the tricep muscle, the right forearm, right femoral nerves, right hip flexor. I just, oh man, I just couldn't move. But seeing my family gave me that courage to roll onto my stomach, take a breath, you know, gun still in hand bringing my arm with me because it's really life and loose and just awkward feeling roll onto my stomach take a breath roll onto my back take a breath eventually i got to the driver's side of the truck and i rolled down the side of it and i got to my door now when i got to my door it, it was open i always felt like had premonition since i started the profession to leave that door open i never liked being inside but that door was open gratefully and um so I reached up and grabbed the radio mic and uh, thought about what I was going to say. We're always taught not to act crazy on the radio and act like, you know, a raving lunatic when you're talking to dispatch. 
So I said, Price, two alpha six nine, I've been shot. I'm a poison spider message trailhead, please hurry. And then I laid the mic down and laid the gun down and laid back and down onto my back. Now I didn't know what to do after that. I'd never thought about how to treat my wounds. All I did was what I trained to do. I think you can understand that being a collegiate national champion wrestler. You just you really? practice on certain skills certain strengths and uh, work on those weaknesses too. And so all I did was lay down. What I did though, is I learned how to, uh, I've done some research on breathing and how you can control your vitals by breathing. And so I, I did what I, what I trained to do. So I started focusing on one breath to the next. If I knew if I could breathe, I could make it, I could, I could live through this. I could survive, live, and then thrive. So I, after I call down onto the radio, I hear, uh, I live in a small town. So Moab's a town of 5,000. Uh, when tourists come, it's like 50 to 100,000, but I could hear familiar voices on the radio of those responding to me. Uh, my supervisor who I joined up that night and split up with, he called for a helicopter immediately. And it was available. Just things really had to happen right for me to get out of there. It was about after the radio and laying down about 12 minutes later, I'm out in the desert now, Canyon country along the Colorado river, 12 minutes later, uh, two off. And then the ambulance shows up and, um, they clear the scene and then they come up to me and start cutting off all my clothes. Well, a, a really weird thought I had when they were cutting off my clothes was I'm never going to get, the stuff back and uh, I was kind of disappointed. I was wearing my favorite uniform that day, Under Armour, down to my socks and shoes. It was just the cycle of laundry, but it's what you feel most comfortable in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was the, my best uniform and best things. And I knew I wasn't gonna get them back and I was really disappointed about that. And to me, looking back on that was just some encouragement that I'm gonna, I'm gonna work another day. I'm gonna live mm. another day. I'm gonna, I'm going to thrive and get back to what I was doing. Um, it, death was just never an option. I really think attitude plays a huge role in the hard things that we all go through in life. You know, none of us are immune. Uh, no one said it would be easy, but we do have a choice. You know, there's a saying in mindfulness that pain is inevitable. The suffering is optional. And I really felt that way, even though it hurt, it hurt like crazy. Um, and I was, I was, I was dying, I'm told. And um, I just didn't believe that I was dying. Anyway, wow. so I get rushed into the ambulance and, uh, you know, rushed to the hospital. Uh, I remember every turn I was conscious. My supervisor at that point shows up. They're asking me questions of description of him, where he's going and, and what was the possible motive, you know, and why he would do this. I never met this guy before. His name is Lance Leroy Ariano. He was 40 at the time. He uh, was just uh, having a bad day, and I happened to be in crosshairs, so to say. Yeah. So uh, in route to the hospital, uh, my wife gets a phone call from a friend um, and says, you got to get to the hospital right now. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, no one's told you yet? And uh, she says, no, told me she says, uh, I'll call you back. And she hangs up right away. 
you can imagine the the shock of your spouse or loved one just yeah what kind of news is this that i'm getting well shortly after she hangs up another supervisor calls her and says you got to get to the hospital right now and brody's been shot it doesn't look good you need to hurry so after that hang up the doorbell rings she goes to the front door well it's that friend who had just called her she showed up and says i'll watch the kids you get over there the reason why i'm going through this is because as she was driving to the hospital which was like two minutes um she experienced this overwhelming uh calming feeling impression that said brody's gonna live he's gonna be okay so when she showed up to the hospital she was as calm as could be the er doctor there actually had to come up to her and ask if she was really uh the spouse because of how calm she was everyone else in the room and i'm here and i'm there too getting worked on um and it's a very very it's crunch time i had the look according to the staff there that i wasn't going to make it and they'd seen this look many times before anyway when he comes over and uh whispers in my ear and says uh hey brody you're finally going to get that helicopter ride that you always wanted <laughs> i'd always want to go on a <laughs> helicopter but uh and um i didn't respond to her but it was so nice to hear her voice it was her voice and and their the the vision of them my kids who were six three nine months at the time uh gave me that courage to roll over it was nice to hear her voice I have to back up just a second. As I was coming to the hospital, um, was, I was losing a lot of, of blood. In fact, all my blood had, had washed out. They were having a hard time getting blood into me. And um, they do what's called an IO. Now what they do is they drill below your kneecap into the bone marrow and flush blood into your body. It's kind of a last resort. They usually do it on unconscious people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the the vivid drilling. It smelled like a dentist office, you know, when your teeth are getting worked on. Yeah. Sorry to get vivid here. I'm glad, uh, I hope it's before your lunch. <laughs> but uh, it was the it wasn't the drilling that hurt. It was when they started to flush the blood into your bone marrow. I screamed. Here I am, shot nine times. I'm, I'm laying in this ER room and I'm screaming. I thought they were sawing oh. my leg off. It hurt so bad. Um. Anyway, they get blood, start getting blood into me as fast as it's going in, it's coming out. Um, now a guy my size holds about, I don't know, 12 to 14 units of blood, okay? Mm-hmm. So a short time in the hospital before I was put on the helicopter, they intubated me, which put me in a coma and they put units 15 and 16 onto my chest, hoping that I would make it uh, to the hospital just cause I had no blood and my vitals were really sketchy. And uh, I wake up um, four weeks later, almost four weeks later. I'm in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, I don't remember much. It was a, it was a great nap hmm. for those four weeks. I, I do remember I had two dreams while I was um, unconscious. One of the dreams was really comforting. I was surrounded by my family and we were on a train and we were headed to Plymouth Rock. It was around hmm. Thanksgiving. so usually do something kind of patriotic at that time. Anyway, Mm. it was real comfort having them being surrounded by them. Um, The other dream was I thought I was being used as a prop on a CSI show. So I was wheeled into this room with other patients of the hospital, uh, burn victims, and they were getting ready to shoot the scene for this 
television show. And I thought this is how hospitals made their money. And I got really pissed off. <laughs> and with my one good arm started tearing out tubes. I remember waking up and seeing this nurse with her finger in my face, like they were going to kick me out and uh, they weren't going to help me anymore. Man. I was just so amped up about it for some reason. Um, anyway, I waking up in the hospital was very weird. When you're, when you atrophy for four weeks, you uh, lose a lot of muscle. You lose a lot of dexterity and movement. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand how to, how to do things. It was very hazy and had to learn to do things again. Like, the simple things that, that we do every day, you know, it's like walking and all those day to day things, walking, breathing, eating, sipping, swallowing, uh, singing. I had no voice that I, I uh, intubated me. So they're breathing, they're doing everything for you. And all that was taken away. And to have to earn those things back, you got to pass some tests in the hospital. And it's, uh, it's a test of endurance. Don't let, don't be deceived. Hospitals are still, um, they're torture chambers. They've just been modernized. They're, when they open you, they're, they're throwing you around that operating table, I guess, so to say. I was very bruised up. And uh, anyway, it was a real, um, real struggle to get through. I, I do want to share one thing, um, and it has to do with this, why we're talking today. It's, it's, it has to do with never giving up. But if people don't like you, that's okay. They can't whip you, but if they can whip you, they can't kill you. But if they do kill you, they can't eat you. But if they eat you, you don't have to taste good. <laughs> that is the epitome of never giving up. This is actually Gary's dad who uh, said this quote. Really? Um, but it, it's, it applies so well to, to our life. If, if this guy was going to try and eat me that night and I was not going to taste good. I love that. It's yeah, I mean, that's great words to live by right there, that never giving up, never quitting. And I mean, that's something uh, just just to tie it into my wrestling background. You know, I, I remember there were certain matches where I'm getting my butt whooped. Right. And, and it, but during those moments where it's, it's not looking good for me, it's like, you know, I have a choice here. I can just either lay down, just give up or I can just keep fighting until the very end. No matter what time's left on the clock, what the points are, you never quit. You never give up. You keep fighting till the very end. I, I love what you just said right there, what you just shared. Thanks, man. I mean, it's like the I'm kind of a visual guy. So reaching deep down mm -hmm. into your heart and pulling out something that, that wasn't there before. Where where do you go when it hits the fan? Where do you go mm -hmm. when trials and adversity and things are pushing you down or you're getting mistreated or uh, abused or or whatever? Um, mm -hmm. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Great, great words of wisdom right there. I mean, you're such an incredible story. And there, I have so many questions. I mean, man, just just being in that situation back where we were talking about just, you know, when when you're, you get your shot, and that's an, an, a situation that I pray that people don't have to experience. I mean, that life or death situation, I've never been there. I've never experienced that. As a wrestler, I've been in a different type of high pressure situation, right? You know, I'm, I'm in these wrestling matches, they're close, it's against tough opponents. But during those times where it's high pressure, where it's stress in my mind, where guys are beating on my head, they're trying to throw me around, I would always revert myself back to that training, remind myself, go back to my training, do what I've trained to do in the wrestling room. But for you, I mean, being in that life or death situation where their adrenaline is just off the charts, I mean, that's just amazing that you still 
had that that sense to just stay calm and go back to your training, go back to that preparation that you had put yourself through for you know, situations like that that might arise. That, that's incredible. Thanks. Um, no, you make a. I mean, very few people will go through this kind of a situation, but we're all born under unique circumstances. Some of us are born at the top of the mountain. Some of us are born at the bottom, each, you know, with a destination to get to and uh, what we're born with. Now I always joke when I give some presentations, you know, I'm redheaded, okay, there's one disadvantage. I'm left-handed, that's a, even a more disadvantage. More than 2,500 left-handed people a year are killed from using products made for right-handed people. You know, there's anyone can make or twist their own, you know, trials in life. Um, but those were mine. And um, I know you have yours and we each have our own. It's, it's what we do with what we're given is, is what's, man, what's, it's, it's, it's a choice, honestly. Exactly. You know, I, no, I was lucky to have a choice um, to live or die, right? I felt like mm -hmm. it was my choice. Some, sometimes we don't get that choice, but if we are, what we do with that choice is, is really key. Yeah, you said it right there. I mean, if, if we do get that choice, that's the key. And, you know, one of the phrases I heard before, it's you can't control the hand that you're dealt in life, but you can control how you play it. Right. I mean, I mean, I was born missing my leg. I couldn't control this. I mean, you were put in your situation. You, you couldn't control that. But it's like, what are you going to do in that situation? You know, how are you going to respond to it? How do you react to that challenging time that you find yourself in at that moment? Because most of the time you do have a choice. It might be a, a ridiculous thing that you're facing, a mountain that you're facing, but you still have a choice of how are you going to uh, attack that, right? How are you going to go confront that mountain that's in front of you? Yeah, let's, uh, let's look at it this way for a sec. I mean, Einstein said everything is energy and that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want and you... Uh, you cannot help but get that reality. It's it's not philosophy. It's it's physics. And and I love that statement because well uh, let's compare it to music. You like music, right? When you feel a good beat and you're driving down the road and it's, you're tapping and you're using the you know the driving the steering wheel to do you know, do your drum roll down and it's just feeling good and you're singing out loud alone of course, right? Oh, always alone. Always alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels good. There's this frequency to music. And when you can match the frequency of the reality you want, you can't help but get that reality. Hmm. I like that. There's, there's a lot of chatter between the ears, and sometimes we listen to the negative chatter. And, hmm. Man, we can twist it around and match the frequency of the reality we want. I like that. There are hard days. There there's are. Some days I don't want to get up. It's, it's hard it's to that, get up. It's that wrestling match within your mind, right? You're wrestling against yeah. yourself. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And another thing I just thought was incredible is that, you know, when you described how you were trying to, to fight to stay alive, to, to radio in how, you know, your thought, your mind was on on your family at that moment. That was your your why, you know, why I want to survive, why I want to fight through this. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I like I said, I've never been in that situation. But, you know, me, I was just thinking, I, I don't want to die. You know, I think a lot of people would think that way. That's that's what would be on their minds. I don't want to die. You're thinking about your family. And that, that's just powerful right there. That's that's special. You know, I mean, surviving that shooting was remarkable. However, I mean, you still had you still had an uphill battle. You know, you, you survived the shooting. Like you said, you wake up four weeks later in the hospital. You have to just relearn these things, these day to day things like walk again. You had to rebuild that muscle, the eating everything. I mean, just can you just talk a little bit more about that experience? Because it had to have been not just physically 
exhausting and frustrating, but just just mentally exhausting, you know, having to go through that. So what was it that helped you to push through those challenging times while you're going through physical therapy, while you're getting frustrated and just, you know, just just angry about the situation that you were in and wanting to get out of it? Uh, first waking up in the hospital, um, I'll just go back to the atrophy. I would sit up, you know, just kind of slide my feet onto the cold floor and then I have to lay back down and take a nap. I was so tired. Hmm. Just there's healing that takes place. And I, I just had to work up to standing up onto the floor with two tiny nurses. I'm six, three, two thirty. two tiny nurses trying to get me to stand up and uh, make it to the end of my bed and then going back and laying down, getting up, going to the door frame of the hospital room and then having to lay back down. It was just baby steps, I guess is the only way to explain it. Working up, getting that endurance back. Um, and all through this, not talk, I couldn't talk for like a week. And that was really frustrating. I was so thirsty. There was a large syringe of sterile water next to my bed and I would just keep pointing at it squirt it down my throat i just want to be able to swallow again to drink to taste eventually i got to have ice chips and i can't tell you it makes me water my eyes water every time i remember the experience of tasting ice again for the first time and just the ability to swallow that was taken away it was just a remarkable experience the first solid food i was able to eat in the hospital i ordered salmon and I thought it'd be too much. And if you know, hospital salmon is, well, it's hospital salmon. It's dry. It's overcooked. Uh. But it was the best tasting thing I'd ever had, just <laughs> swallowing it and chewing and being just being able to get back to normal. I just was screaming for it. And um, under the haze of pain medications, I was hitting that morphine button like no other. And I just knew I had to get out of there. And once people were telling me what had happened to me in the story, I just, I just made a promise to myself and, and the man upstairs that if, if you can get me out of this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some good with it and, and try and try and spread basically this, that life is good. And in spite of the few and the bad that get highlighted on the news, there are so many good things happening around us. And we mentioned attitude at the beginning of this, but attitude was a huge factor, trying to be positive and, and ignore the negative chatter. Um, so eventually I made it outside the hospital room and down the hall, the reception desk. Eventually I made it down through an elevator and, and out to the exterior doors of the hospital. And it's wintertime, this is December now, mid-December. And uh, thought thought the cold air would freeze my lungs. It was just good to taste outside mm -hmm. air again. Just the simple things we take for granted. Mm -hmm. I was experiencing those things again and really uh, changed my perspective on what's most important in life. To me, it's uh, three things. It's your relationship with God, family, and friends, and then even, even your enemies. You know, I prided myself. When you arrest someone, you know, you've got to take them to jail and to get a thank you after that contact or when you give someone a citation because they broke the law um, and to get a thank you after it, I'm really proud, proud of that. Um, mm. I never wished death or injury on anyone. It's, it's just part of the job. Sometimes you have to 
ground stabilize and apply minor discomfort mm -hmm. to those who are harm, harming themselves or others around them. And so I guess where, I, where I'm going with this is those three things, your relationship with God, family, friends, and enemies. That's kind of what, it's kind of what it's all about for me now. That's, that's a great perspective to have right there. And I mean, what you went through and what you're able to survive is an absolute miracle. And I mean, I, I, you mentioned God, and then that's something that's always been, uh, you know, a center of my life as well is, is uh, you know, I, I don't understand why I was born this way. But you know, my mom told me God made me this way for a reason. And we go through certain things. And I, I truly believe that it is for a reason, you know, they, they, they might not be, I mean, for lack of, of a better word, pleasant, you know, it might not always go the way we want it to go. There might be some insane challenges, but it all does happen for a reason. And to hear what you said is your perspective now, you know, those three things, that's just, that is a great way to look at life, because I think we do at times get caught up, right? It's, it's, it's about the money, it's about the, the whatever, right? It's about these other things. But what you just said, those three things, that's the most important. And if you can get that down, if you can have that perspective, then you're set, right? I mean, you, you, you figured it out. Well, it takes uh, continual practice, as you know. I mean, mm -hmm. you're trying to set world records, right? Yeah. It takes continual, consistent practice. Practice makes permanency. And uh, if you, you know, take a week off and not do your pull-ups, or <laughs> if I take a week off and not not practice and exercise and keep myself fit and, and mentally awake and morally straight, things fall by the wayside. And, I don't know. To me, life becomes a little unbalanced, and so it's just a, it's just hard work. Like like a marriage, like a friendship, like professional career, it takes takes a lot of work. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we get back to it, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. Unstoppable is brought to you by Safe Streets, the nation's only ADT authorized provider. Right now, Safe Streets has an exclusive offer just for our audience. Get a free doorbell camera and a $100 Visa gift card with new system activation and installation. Plus, enjoy 24-7 monitoring by ADT, professional installation, and secure peace of mind. To get your Safe Streets offer today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. It takes a lot of work, like you said, practice. And, and just going off what you said a little bit earlier, uh, you know, it, it's about those those little victories. You mentioned, right, you're, you're, you could make it down the hallway. Eventually, you made it here. Eventually, you're able to eat salmon. You know, it's about those those little things, right? It's like you, you, you lock on to the positives, to those little victories as you're climbing that mountain, right? Because it, it's step by step. It's little by little. Um, and that's how you're able to, to get through it. That's how you're able to get to the finish line where you want to go. Because if you just, you know, take a step back and you look at the big picture, a lot of times it's just, it's very discouraging. It's like, man, I'm, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to do this or accomplish that. But when you do break it down moment by moment, step by step, you know, just little goal by little goal, that's how you're able to, to get to where you want to be. My coach used to say, you know, he'd say, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bat at a time, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, pain, pain is weakness leaving the body. I mean, mm -hmm. life's supposed to be hard. So how we choose to look at it is, is a real is real key. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I, I didn't quite answer your question, but it, I spent a year and just to go back, spent a year in physical therapy and another year being evaluated to see if I was still straight here and if I could still do the job. And mm. um, I was really critiqued really uh, hard. My, my supervisors were really strict with me, but I'll tell you, it was my wife who was really mean to me when I was early in recovery. 
when I, if I wanted a drink, she would say, get up and get it yourself. Mm-hmm. No, no offense to her. She is awesome. I married a man in a woman's body. She's allergic <laughs> to flowers, diamonds, chocolates. Uh, she doesn't wear makeup. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Life's pretty simple in that world, but she was pretty mean, but she knew if I would get up and do it myself, I would recover more quickly mm-hmm. by yeah. moving. I had to get up and, you know, go play with the kids for five minutes mm-hmm. and go back and sit down and rest. I mean, it was the greatest year of my life, honestly, recovering. My kids frequently uh, would say, Daddy, we love your new job. Because I was just always home. And mm-hmm. I was with them. And they're very curious on what happened. I mean, six, three, and nine months, they're, they're going to ask some questions. And so mm-hmm. we'd have this time every night where we would they would ask questions and I was very straightforward and honest with them and it really was just a really I mean really hard but the greatest year of my life with with my family recovering spending a lot of time at home going to physical therapy every day Hmm. it was a unique experience and one uh, I um, would never want to go through again but I'm full that I did go through it, it brought us closer. It, oh. it, it reaffirmed our faith in, in society also. Hmm. There's more good people doing more good things out there than the few and the bad that get highlighted on the news. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's just interesting that you said how, how your wife treated you, you know, just, just kind of forcing you to, to, to kind of step outside of your comfort zone in a way, right? Challenge yourself and, and uh, you know, force you to see what you're capable of and your abilities and, and just grow on that. Because uh, in a similar way, my mom, you know, when I was little, obviously, you know, I was born missing my leg. And there are a lot of people who wanted to kind of shelter me. And, and, and even the doctors were telling her, you know, there's all these things he's not going to be able to do. You know, when I was an infant, he can't do all this stuff, you're gonna have to take care of him. And outsiders were like, you know, why, why are you being so mean? Or, you know, he's not gonna be able to do that. Don't, don't, don't put him out there like that. But my mom, she said, you know, I can't protect him from, from these things, from these challenges, from the pain and failure sometimes, because that's going to make him stronger. He needs to experience those things to see what his abilities are to test himself so he can rise to those other levels. And, uh, you know, you, you can't get babied. Right. And I think a lot of times people are kind of like, well, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm not going to challenge myself and whatever, not just physical, mentally, or, you know, these things, because then I go, it's too hard. I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm not capable, but it's when you challenge yourself. It's when you put yourself out there, when you try harder than you think you're capable of, that's how you you just become stronger and stronger like you did well i've read unstoppable and it's so inspirational and uh, we need those reminders i mean there are so many stories out there we just Mm -hmm. gotta search for them and uh little miracles happen every day and i mean your story is inspirational thank you a miracle in my mind and um i'm glad um I'm glad to be a part of that. I'm glad you're sharing it. Most people, at least in the police world, world who survived something horrific, don't share it and keep it in. And uh, I've just felt like if I get out of there, it's worth sharing. It needs to be told. It's just um, it's remark a more remarkable thing that can help someone. You know, help one, awesome. Help a hundred, even more. But a thousand, ten thousand. I just we could grow this positivity around the world, especially in 2020, where absolutely it's just been an upside down year um, all around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And just, we, we do need that positivity. And 
you know, but, well, speaking on positivity, one of the things that I just thought was really neat was when you shared about your three perspectives, you know, and you also mentioned how, how you, 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 at the end of it, you said how you treat your enemies. You know, you said it was, it was your, your faith, your, your faith, your family, your friends, and then you also learned how you treat your enemies. That's something that's important to you. And, uh, you know, just, just to speak on the enemies, the individual that, that did shoot you, were they able to find him eventually? Were they able to, to capture him? Yeah, uh, no, thanks. Thanks for asking. He went uh, missing for five years. I think officers that night were really close to him, but um, it was dark and it was dangerous. And if, if he was going to shoot, you know, a ranger, he was going to, he was going to try and do it to someone else. And he finding his stuff the next day, the next morning early, it looked like he had set up to, to ambush more officers. But for some reason during that night, he disappeared and uh, a huge search went out. You've got to understand though, the search area where he was last known, or his last known location was thousands of caves and cracks and open red rock country. I mean, this is out in the desert with, with rocky cliffs and it was just really difficult. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he went missing five years. There was a reward put out, $30,000 for his whereabouts. And uh, so come Christmas, 2015, two local kids, uh, brothers decided they were gonna go out and they were gonna, they were gonna find him. Now these two brothers, uh, their dad was uh, an investigator for Moab City Police Department. And they'd always talked about around dinner, like he couldn't have gotten far with no resources, no, no friends, no money, no cell phone even. Um, they just thought he was, he was close. And so <laughs> what these two kids did was they drew up a map and, and they were going to search a grid or a certain area every day. With the end of their second day, they find this uh, green bag just sitting on the rocks. Cops have for years searched in vain for cop shooter Lance Leroy Ariano. He had been wounded in a shootout with Hero Park Ranger Brody Young, then disappeared into the wind. That is, until this 23-year-old intrepid Eagle Scout, along with his younger brother, cracked the case wide open. They did what an army of cops couldn't do. The savage gunfight launched a massive manhunt. Cops, even the FBI, scoured the caves and crevices for miles around. Frustration is all they found. And uh, they went up to the bag and opened it and they saw the weapon that matched the description of the weapon he shot me with. And so they're getting really excited. Well, they look up a little bit further and they see a white rib bone just sitting right against the red rock. It just really stood out. And this uh, rib bone was at the entrance to this crack or this kind of cave. It was really more like falling rock that created this cave, but mm -hmm. um, they got really excited. So they ran back and grabbed the sheriff. And so here we are Christmas Eve day. I'm making vanilla to hand out to family friends five years later. And I get this knock at the door and it's my supervisor that was there with me that night. And he says, come outside real quick. We go outside and he goes, we found him. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I had resigned to the fact that he would never be found. And um, so the two local brothers found, um, found his remains in this cave. Uh, the older brother actually was the only one that could fit down into this cracking cave. He was similar size to this guy. And uh, um, it's because all the equipment the officers wear, you know, mm -hmm. kind, of, yeah. kind of large, whatever. 
<laughs> so this guy uh, or the brother went down and uh, took pictures. And uh, by this time, you know, five years later, it was bones in a sleeping bag and, and all his remains are there. And what it was determined was that he had he had died that night. Um, mm. He laid down to rest and didn't get back up. It turns out I injured him in that horrific gunfight and um he just laid down and never never got back up but he died alone in a wet cave mm. and uh in a cold wet cave and and that is honestly i, I feel for him and his family not i found complete forgiveness um and it, it's a place that everyone has to go to to, to get past obstacles in life Mm-hmm. But we found forgiveness. So, so much more good has come out of this. Um, but I feel for him and his family. I don't wish death on anyone. I wish we could have had a longer conversation and maybe worked out a few things. My mm-hmm. verbal judo just wasn't working that night. And he had already decided that he was, he'd made this choice. Like getting at is we make so many little choices through our life and um, those affect the outcomes of situations and his many hundreds of choices have led to this point where gosh taking another life and um deciding to do that is is a dark place that i'll never understand honestly but it came from many small choices growing up mm-hmm. um so uh those kids got the reward thirty thousand dollars and uh they used it and uh, they're going to college and it's really neat to see some good come out of that. Um, the older brother is married now and uh, he's like an Air Force Reserve reserve oh. guy now and the younger brothers just started college last year. But um, again, it's how we choose to see things. Um, I wish I could make amends with their family. They don't like me for whatever reason. I don't know them, but um, I hope someday that they can find, you know, forgiveness for me. I mean, it was a situation that they'll never see him again. And fortunately, I get to live, but I got to live with that. And uh, we all have things we got to live with. Yeah, and that, so that's true. But I mean, your your story is just absolutely incredible. And I, I know it's touched so many people's lives, it's inspired them. And I mean, you just mentioned your, your perspective, you know, how it changes you, your perspective and the things you view as important now. I mean, that, that's just, that's, man, that's crucial right there. You know, that, that's so important to learn. I mean, I read an article in, in Men's Health, you know, about your story. And I, and I had really took note of one thing that you said. You said, my story, it isn't about getting hit by nine rounds. It's about what I've learned from surviving. And I know you, you are in motivational speaking now. I know you share your story across the country. So, you know, what, if you could sum it up, what was it that you learned? And you know, what is your message to people when you go out there and share your story? What do you want them to take away? Well, uh, other than the things I guess I've already mentioned is um, your, your home life. If you have a balanced home life, you're going to have a successful professional life, mm-hmm. uh, successful, you know, recreational life or whatever you go into. Um, balance at home, how you treat people, uh, treat people uh, and see them as, as more than what they are is kind of how I like to view. I'm an optimist. So I would like to view people, even the, you know, the, the drugged out scumbag they're labeled, you know, sitting on the street there. How, how do you view them? 
how can how can you somehow benefit benefit their life and that's what about it's lifting each other and uh by overcoming hard things um that's possible Mm -hmm. it does start with yourself i mean the secret in changing the attitudes of others is to change our own it's the only way we can affect other people by changing our own attitudes beliefs thoughts um and that's that's kind of my message there there you can get through something hard and uh, you can survive it and you live through it and you can also thrive because of it. None of us are immune. That's that's the whole message. I love that right there. Brody, it's truly been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I know there's a phrase we use in wrestling. It's called short time. It's really short time, which is it's towards the end of a wrestling match. There's seconds left on the clock and it's go time, right? You have to make something happen. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to wrap, wrap up our conversation with what I like to call the short time questions. Is that okay with you? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's do uh, it. Sounds good, man. So basically, yeah, I'll ask you these questions and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so first question, what's your favorite inspirational book or movie and or movie? Oh, um, you know, honestly, Blindside had a real impact on me. Um, seeing this kid come from nothing and overcoming and uh, just making right decisions. Uh, I love, I love that movie. Um, what was the other part? Uh, motivational book or movie and or movie. So if you have a book as well. You know, uh, Og Mandino, I love uh, him. He is the greatest secret in the world, greatest miracle in the world. Um, I love, I love those. I have to check those out. Next question. What's a motivational quote that keeps you going when times are tough? Oh, it's definitely the quote I stated earlier, right? Um, Let me mention it again. If people don't like you, that's okay. They can't whip you. But if they can whip you, they can't kill you. They do kill you. They can't eat you. But if they eat you, you don't have to taste it. (laughs) I like it. I'm going to remember that one. I'm going to write that down myself. (laughs) And final question. What does unstoppable mean to you? Oh, gosh. Um, unstoppable to me. Uh, it means what it says. You go through something hard, you can get through it. Um, we can get through it. You know, as, as an officer, I uh, unfortunately am involved with a lot of death, of drownings. Um, unfortunately, some suicides and every one of those that I approach and go through, I think, man, I just know this guy or girl could have gotten through it. It's, it's, we will never be given more than what we can handle. I'm really certain of that. And, and that's what I keep going back to. You can get through anything. And that's what unstoppable means. You can get through anything. Yes, sir. Well, Brody, thank you so much for, the, again, your time and for sharing your story today. It's truly been a pleasure and an honor. Thanks, Anthony. It's so nice to meet you, too. And hopefully we get to meet in person sometime down the road. Definitely. would love to. When I get out there to Utah, I'm going to hit you up. And like I said, we'll, we'll do some uh, some hikes together. I mean, if you're down to take me rafting, I'm, I'm up for that. That'd be a fun yeah, challenge. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, you take care. Thank you. Thank you again. It's impossible to fully grasp what Brody went through. I pray that none of you out there ever have to experience what he did. I thought he made a great point when he said, when it hits the fan, you fall to the level of your training. When we go through trials and we feel like our backs are against the wall, it's natural to allow the negative thoughts to cloud our minds. However, 
we need to do our best to train our minds to look for the positives. If you're feeling overwhelmed right now, like you're losing hope, I know it's hard, but try your best to focus on the positives. Count the daily blessings in your life, big and small. That's how you gain those little victories, and that's how you win the day. Well, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation, and America's only ADT authorized provider. Safe Streets will help protect what you value most. To talk to an expert and get a free quote today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. The Unstoppable Podcast is a production of Anthony Robles Enterprises, LLC, in partnership with The Really Good Home Podcasts. I'd like to thank my editor, Laura Batista, producer Katie Pulatunoff, and my senior producer, Andy Frazier. Special thanks this episode to True Crime Daily's YouTube channel for the clip used at the beginning of this episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Have a great day and remember, be unstoppable.